The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And we are going to be putting Oscar on the couch today. Yes, the uh, the Academy Awards <laughs> were Sunday, and today's Tuesday, but if you're like me, um, you don't want to be done with it. There is too much to savor, too much happened, too much that's uh, embarrassing or too much that's exciting and wonderful and, and uh, uh, Oscar speeches that were from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so there's still, you know, it was hours of, of a show, and there's still... There's still hours that one could talk about it, and with me today to talk about it is Kate Meehan. She is the senior writer and editor of Celebrity Dirty Laundry. She's also been on shows um, like Ricky Lake and been uh, written and written for Red Book and so on, quoted in Red Book, and uh, just generally talking about the entertainment industry and Hollywood where she has been for 20 years. So, welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show about how, yes, this is just too much, there is too much good to savor, and you were talking about how um, on social media some of these things are still going on. Tell us about some of them. Um, well, the biggie, I think, is, is um, when John Travolta got up, and you have to wonder if he, re- if he actually attended rehearsals at all, because all he had to do was introduce Adina Menzel. That's all, she, all that he had to do. She was going to sing the theme song from Frozen, which, of course, a few minutes later went on to win an Oscar itself, and he bungled her name. Um, very simply, he called her Adela Dazeem, and within 10 or 15 minutes, there was a new Twitter account for Adela Dazeem, which spent a couple hours tweeting out Things purposely mangling celebrities' names <laughs> that were, you know, anybody that won an award after that that point, their name was bungled. And by midnight, this account had like eleven or twelve thousand followers, oh, so my everybody God. knew about it. So anyway, um, well, Adina you know, yeah, has to, to make that point, though. I mean, a lot of the presenters bungled things, and you gotta wonder. I mean. <laughs> They didn't have that much to say. Uh, why couldn't they get, and, and most of them were actors, why couldn't they get it right? Well, exactly. It's such a simple thing. He memorizes things for a living. Yeah. So obviously there was a disconnect there of some kind. You know, there was just obviously a disconnect. And you have to know that they, they had met beforehand. I mean, if he didn't know her or didn't know of her, certainly he was introduced to her and in the moment put her at ease because he would be introducing her and, and don't worry, I'll take care of it. And You know, surely there was an exchange of some kind before he actually bungled the real introduction in front of thousands of people. So it, it's such a simple thing. 
happening and and it just kind of caught fire on its own and so Edina who is you know Tony Award nominated um, Broadway actress most people do have a clue of who, who she is or if they don't know her by name they do know her work they've heard something she's saying they, they've seen something she's connected to they just didn't realize who she was but she's shown up everywhere she was on Jimmy Fallon she was on Jimmy Kimmel singing her song um, Jimmy Fallon probably did the best job with it because he had his backup band, The Roots, playing the music behind her, and it was like a Sesame Street skit almost. They were playing the xylophone, the baby's xylophone, and the baby's blocks, and just anything you'd find in a classroom kind of for preschool were the instruments that they used, and it was just... It was just hilarious, you know, and she just sang her heart out and just, so if anything, it's given her more attention, it's Uh given her more publicity, and it's given her a chance to to show what she can do to people that may not have seen the Oscars even. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, (laughs) just like the pizza guy, boy, did that guy just uh, luck into a fortune, you know, people wanting to go to his place because now they, they... They would have never heard of him, or most people wouldn't have ever heard of him. I never heard of him, uh, or that kind of that pizza place. Um, and now, of course, he's gotten international publicity. Well, absolutely. And what could be better for business, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the thing that Ellen was able to do. She turned the night into, instead of truly the most boring night of the year, because let's be honest, even if you're invested, three and a half hours yeah. is a long time to sit through speeches and presentations. It's a long night. But she perked it up. And the pizza guy, just, just when you would start to kind of wish it was almost over because mm-hmm. it was getting long, there would be something from her, you know, whether it was bringing in the pizza guy or collecting tips for him or taking selfies. You didn't know what she was going to do next, and she woke everybody up and kind of breathed life back into the place. That's true, um, But and I love Ellen, but I always had the feel, and I think she was great, and I hope they bring her back, but I had the feeling that she kept sort of looking over her shoulder, like not literally, but that she, she was afraid to be Ellen, like she was afraid to go full blast Ellen, which she would normally do if this was her show, you know, if, if, if she didn't have to answer to anybody. And there was kind of a, um, it was more muted than she w- than she is like in in specials where it's just her. Well, and she said that she did say in advance that you know she wasn't going to dance and she wasn't going to do the things that she's known for because those are the things that kind of go with her show, you know, and and um, things that are just connected to her business or her branding. Whereas this is this was Oscar and it was all about this special night in in Hollywood, and so she was going to tone it back and just be a part of the whole picture as opposed to stealing the show, which is what we're used to her doing. Yeah. Um... But, you know, I mean, there was that commercial where she's walking down a set um, with a whole bunch of guys doing a song and dance number, and I assumed that that was going to be the opening number of the Oscars. So it was kind of a disappointment when she just kind of came on and did a monologue that, that felt restrained. I mean, it was funny, but it felt sort of restrained. You know, everybody praised the the opening monologue, and I have to admit, I wasn't necessarily a fan. I'm not... I'm not somebody that's generally a fan of monologues as it is. You have to be really sharp and really witty to to make me really like it. But I agree. I just, I don't think that's necessarily the best way to open a show like that, and especially not with someone like her. You know, she's high energy normally, and that's, I agree. I would have expected something a little bit different to open the show that does suit her better than just the straightforward monologue with a couple jokes here and there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about, the best pictures. I mean, let's talk about some of the um, winners and losers. <laughs> um, what did you, who were you rooting for for best picture? 
Um, you know, it, I was. I think I was rooting for anything other than gravity for best picture. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. Um, I mean, and gravity won so many other awards, but it's like. You know, I saw that movie. I was bored to death. I mean, it was beautiful at the beginning. Thank you. But then, okay, already. <laughs> you know, it's like, hello, we're out here in space and nothing's happening. And um, and then, but it was only after, you know, when the Oscars were coming and the director was doing interviews and explaining that it was a metaphor for the adver- all the things that she was being hit with and that they were being hit with um, when George Clooney was there at the beginning were, were metaphors for adversity, adversity in life and, and trying to escape adversity and so on. And, he, you know, he gave these different talks and, and um, that they, I thought, oh, oh, is that what it was supposed to be? <laughs> you know, it's like when he talked about some more meaning, things that he had in mind, I mean, those were interesting kinds of things, but you had to sit through however long it was. It seemed like five hours uh, to get to that. Well, and, and I'm, I'm of the mindset, too. If you have to explain to me what these <laughs> yes. metaphors are, then something was missing in, in the interpretation. Because I'm really good with putting things together and finding the correlations and, and finding ways that this, this big picture in front of me might connect to, you know, my life or the people's lives around me. So if you have to really spell it out and make me get it, then there's a problem. Yes. And, and as far as the film itself, you know, the, the special effects and the visuals, obviously the awards that it won for that were well-deserved. Mm-hmm. This was a visual picture. This was all about the visual and not about the story. And for, so for some reason, I was first really confused why the Academy was even considering it mm-hmm. because the character was not likable. You know, there was nothing endearing there. There was nothing that made me want to save her. You know, she was right. hardened and cold and standoffish and, and for most of the time didn't seem to care too much about herself either. And to listen to Sandra Sandra. Bullock talked to herself, basically, for the better part of the film. It just was too much, and it was boring. And at one point, I honestly said to my husband, okay, she needs to let go so she can die so we can go home. <laughs> that was truly yes. my assessment. Yes. And, and it, it didn't matter if an, a different actress was in the role. It didn't matter. It was the way that they did it. It just didn't work for yes. me because I couldn't connect to anything in it. Yes, yes. If they would have given a backstory of the Sandra Bullock character, so that from the at some point early on, so that you cared about whether she lived or died, that would have made all the difference. And then at the end, when she lands on that island or lands in the water and goes to the island, I mean, it still isn't clear that she's going to survive. Absolutely not. I mean, and she very well may not have. But the thing is, did anybody care at that point? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we were no. just glad. <laughs> glad it was over. We, exactly. She's on. She's on land now. Okay, we're close to the end. <laughs> I mean, and that's terrible. But that is how that is how I was left feeling. And the more people that I've talked to this this week, it seems to really be a consensus that they walked out thinking wow, and then when they thought about it later on, it wasn't such a wow after all. Mm-hmm. And then months removed. It just it it looked good, but but aside from that, there wasn't much to hang on to. Yes, absolutely. And um, what, what I did feel sorry though for Sandra. I mean, she's won a Best Oscar award, so you can't feel too sorry for her. But I like her a lot. But um, I felt bad that she came so dressed up, like she looked like she expected to win. Did you notice that she looked beautiful? And I thought that she had taken you know, that she had really um, thought that this effort was worth it because she was going to win. 
Um, I don't know because I don't know if it was that because several of her outings on the red carpet, I'm going to say in the last year, there's been a definite switch. Um, you know, something slipped in her, whether she realized she maybe is more comfortable in her own skin after all the scandals and things she's been through, or, you know, maybe she's whipped herself into shape and she's feeling really good and extra confident. There's been a change in her to every time she turns up on the red carpet, she's looking amazing and she knows it. You know, and not in a pompous kind of way, but just in that confident woman kind of way. Uh-huh. So when she turned up, you know, in that in that navy dress, it just seemed to me like more of the same. She just she's killing it in terms of you know what she's wearing and how she's coming across. She looks absolutely stunning. Um, did she think she was going to win? I don't know. I don't know. You know, after all was said and done, and and she said that just doing the film was such a transformative experience for her because it made her connect with God only knows what, you know, we, we can't even begin to know. Cause if they had to explain the other meanings to us, <laughs> God only knows what was going on while filming it and shooting it for her, you know, but maybe that's part of it because she said it just, it really changed who mm. she is and how she, how she um, interacts with people and how she comes across. And I think we see that. So something shifted and changed in her, which obviously is probably a better reward than an Oscar even would have been. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, if, if he did explain the adversity stuff to her, she could have used that as a metaphor for what she went through with her husband and the divorce right. and the cheating and all of that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, been able to put some of that baggage behind better. So that would make sense. Well, we need to take a break uh, now. My guest is Kate Meehan. She is the senior writer and editor of um, uh, Celeb Dirty Laundry. And we're going to be continuing to talk about Oscar because we are putting him on the couch. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We are putting Oscar on the couch today. My guest is Kate Meehan. She is the senior writer and editor of Celeb Dirty Laundry. We're talking about Oscar and the, uh, the movies and the celebrities and, and, uh, and all of that, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we, we kind of did the ugly in the last segment. Uh, um, well, not, not, 
Um, not regarding Sandra Bullock. She was beautiful, but the, the movie. Um, so, so you said you wanted any movie but Gravity to win, and I agreed. But what was your, what was your real favorite under that, besides that? Um, I think it almost depends on the day of the week and my uh-huh. mood, sort of. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of anything, ultimately, that's just a really good story. If I, if I walk away wishing that I wrote the thing, and if, if I walk yes. away, you know, feeling feeling connected to the characters or feeling connected to, to the story, um, then you've got me. You know, that's, that's how you get me. So for me, um, probably 12 Years a Slave because it was such a good story and it just, it resonated with, I think, people in general in so many different ways. You know, you didn't have to be living in that era. You didn't have to be abducted. You didn't have to be dealing with slavery. But there's so many parallels to modern day life to the same, the same feelings of being, you know, persecuted for different reasons or, or stuck and trapped and you don't know how to get yourself out of that to get to where you need to be in your life. There's just so many things that I think most people could connect with if, if they thought about it or if it, if it hit them, you know, while watching. Um, and the performances were phenomenal. Um, I also really liked American Hustle just because it was just something, you know, something different and it had this blockbuster cast. And I kind of like the quirky, different things. Um, Dallas Buyers Club, I, I absolutely do not apologize for loving Jared Leto. Um, and to see him and Matthew McConaughey, I mean, they transformed themselves into these characters. They morphed into these HIV positive characters and physically they looked the part. Emotionally, they were connected to it. You know, they just were immersed in this film and putting this thing together and probably acted better than either of them ever have before. Mm-hmm. And the end result was awards and connecting, you know, with audiences and also probably shocking themselves with what they can actually do. Mm-hmm. And I think in that instance, I think the best stuff from Matthew McConaughey, I think, is around the corner. I think something in him clicked that, yeah. hey, I don't have to be the funny guy. I don't have to be the punchline. I don't have to be the scene stealer. You give me something really serious, I get lost in it, and I can kill it. And I yeah. think the best stuff is coming from him. Well, yes, and I wanted the two of them to win Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Absolutely. Yep. I was really hoping for that. Um, you know, the thing that, that got me about that movie was how... It took 17 years. They had tried to make that movie 17. It's taken 17 years to get it to the screen. And um, Matthew McConaughey had to put his own money behind it. At least part of the money was from him. And that, that dedication and that, you know, commitment and passion behind the movie really showed in, in their performances and in the, whole, the way the whole movie came out. Absolutely. And, you know, as um, a Jared Leto fan, too, it's been six years since we've seen him on screen. It's been six years since any project tempted him to come back and do movies. He's been touring with his band 30 Seconds to Mars for the last several years and and lost in that project. And, you know, that's widely successful. So he really didn't have to come back. So to see that this is the role that pulled him back was kind of um, a little bit bizarre, you know, what drew him into this. Mm. And then to see the end result and, you know, his acceptance speech, I thought was one of the highlights of, yeah. of the night because in listening to him, you realize just how smart he is and just how 
I don't know. He's just one of those people that just gets it. You could tell he just, he gets it. He gets how people are wired. He gets how people think. Um, he just understands things on a deeper level, you know, and then to see the tribute to his mother and, and just, you know, he kind of threw a couple other things in there that show that, you know, it's not just about Hollywood. It's not just about this award. It's, you know, he's connected to all other sorts of things in life. And with him, I just can only hope it doesn't take another six years for him to show up on screen again. Yes, yes, and it's amazing that he came back in such a powerful way. Um, his, I, when he gave his acceptance speech, which was, I think, the first one of the evening, I felt, um, oh, good, hopefully, hopefully everybody got the memo that they need to make better acceptance speeches um, instead of, I mean, it just kills me when people come up there and um, they haven't prepared anything and, you know, it's like, did you really think you weren't going to win? I mean, did you think there was no chance that you were going to win? You didn't want to take some time um, preparing something in your mind. I don't mean necessarily writing it down, but just having something prepared that you would say that would be uh, meaningful and inspirational and, you know, worth the time that we spend listening to you. It, it, it's just, um, I mean, fortunately, I mean, there were some of those, of course, at, on Oscar night, and, and even the, the ones who bring out their paper, I understand that it's you know it's a very nerve wracking moment, and you want to you don't want to forget people, but um, but you don't have to have the whole thing. You know, you could make sure check your list of names to make sure you didn't forget anybody, but you don't have to have the whole thing written out. I mean, God, you know, certainly you could put the effort in to memorize these things. Well, I see it two ways, too. I mean, they're actors, so they memorize for a living. So you can go two, two paths with this. You can either memorize what you need to say and present it in a way that people think it's sincere. Right. Or if you're good on the spot, like Lupita yes. Nuango was, then you just go with it and you yes. live in the moment and you're going to get it right. Yes. And, you know, it's either or. Yes, in a perfect world, I mean, in a way, it's better to go with the moment, but you at least have to have had some things in your mind. You don't necessarily have to memorize the exact words, but have some things, ideas in your mind of what it is that you want to get across. It's a relatively short amount of time. And so if you just kind of um, waste that time by, you know, just try with fillers, trying to, to get your bearings... Um, it's just not very effective and, and, uh, and disappointing. Even uh, Matthew McConaughey's speech was also really heart-rendering, you know, really heartwarming. Um, uh, it was interesting that the two of them had obviously thought a lot about, I mean, it seems spontaneous, the words were spontaneous, but they obviously thought a lot about the gist of what they wanted to say. Right. And, you know, it's circling back to Jared, to something that clicked with me when he was talking about his mother having been, you know, a single mother, raised himself and his his brother. And they kept panning to her in the audience. And we saw her on the red carpet with him. But it really clicked. You know, she's sitting there in this sea of older women like Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, and women that are groomed to fight it every inch of the way. You know, they're primmed, they're primped, they... um they're plastic, they're Botoxed, the hair isn't real. I mean, but, but they fight it every inch of the way. And his mother was drop-dead gorgeous. Got to be in her 60s. The hair was like the perfect shiny shade of gray. Her skin was gorgeous. Here's the real deal sitting there in this sea mm. of, of fake, basically. Mm, that's interesting. You know, and, yeah, and she was absolutely stunning. And it, it kind of sent a message, too. You have the real mom over there that's worked really hard, and she's absolutely mm. beautiful, and she looked totally at peace. And it sent a message to the people at home watching, too, where, you know, our, 
we have this supposed ideal shoved down our throats of you're supposed to fight it every step of the way. And, you know, you're supposed to, if it's within your means to take desperate measures, then, you know, maybe you should consider doing that. And here all along, you know, you have some real people mixed into that audience and they actually are more stunning and more striking hmm. than the people that we flip through the magazines and see. That's and a I, very I just, good point, yeah. I wondered how many people caught that. <laughs> well, obviously not me. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's true. She was sitting in that general area and and she did look beautiful and, and she was beaming and all that and, and she just looked like a like a really loving, you know, a mother you would want to have, a loving, nurturing mother. Um, that kind of brings us to Kim Novak. <laughs> I mean, what did you make of that? Oh, there was um, a Twitter war over Kim Novak, and uh, I feel I feel bad falling on either side of it because. On the one hand, for myself, I loved her in Vertigo. I loved the old Hitchcock stuff. I loved the old actresses from that era. And so in my head, my picture of Kim Novak is the little tiny blonde that's stunning. And, and you know, the, 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 old, the Kim Novak that you have in your head before the other night, you know, I, I love that thought of her. And so it's been replaced by what we saw the other night. And on the one hand, she's 80 and she's not perfect anymore, you know, and it's amazing that she had the nerve to get up there in front of all of these Mm -hmm. people that she probably at least a chunk of them respected from her day. And some of them are so legendary and she knows she's not what she used to be. So it it took a lot of nerve to get up there and a lot of um, confidence, you know, knowing in her speech is obviously something is wrong there too. You know, whether she's got some kind of medical issue. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, um, you know, yes, she walked on stage and, and like, it was like, who is this and what's wrong with her face? But 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 then I I found out I, that she was 81 and and so you know I mean actually even though it's plastic surgery gone wrong at the same time um, she looks damn good for 81 I mean except for the fact that there's something very sort of awkward and wrong and it needs to be fixed but but it was the speech that was the thing that was the you know her face wouldn't have been that bad if if she was speaking correctly and whether that's some, like I, I was wondering whether she was on drugs or drunk or, um, or it could be Botox, you know, it could be part of the plastic surgery problem. Maybe right. she had something done too recently. And so she hasn't recovered from it yet or some medical problem. As you were saying, that was more disturbing than her face. Exactly. It was the whole package. I mean, you had, obviously, this is the, this is the reason you don't have plastic surgery on top of plastic surgery. Right there. There it was. You know, and then you had the speech where she didn't sound the same and it sounded like, you know, maybe, maybe she'd had a stroke at some point in time and we, you know, we just didn't know it or there's an issue. For whatever reason, there's clearly an issue. And then she's at the biggest night in Hollywood and, and she looks like she grabbed an off the rack dress at Old Navy. And it was just, the whole picture was just so many shades wrong and not like, not the visual or the mental image that I'd have of her. But then on the flip side, you kind of feel bad for even thinking that because she's 80. So, but something was very wrong with that whole situation there. And, and Matthew knew it and seemed to be kind of guiding her through it, which I Mm -hmm. have to say, watching him guide her through it and kind of hold onto her arm and kind of, he seemed so reassuring with her that it was kind of a sweet moment. Yes, yes. And, and you know, and you you also have to wonder whether um, she, you know, since she really hasn't been in anything, to my knowledge, in years, um, maybe this she saw this as her moment to, to maybe, like maybe she got a bunch of plastic surgery more 
um, because she saw this as her moment to uh, to interest to remind Hollywood who that who she is and that she's still alive and maybe to cast her in something. Like maybe she overdid it because of that. Exactly, you know, and and maybe so, you know, that just takes it just takes that one botched um, procedure. It's all it takes, and you're never the same. And maybe, you know, maybe if we saw her six months ago or three months ago, she would have been totally different. And we just don't know it because she's really been laying low for not years, but decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to take another break. Um, <laughs> It is so much fun savoring all this stuff with you. It's, it's not, um, it's still fresh, still fresh. My guest is Kate Meehan. She is the senior writer and editor of Celeb Dirty Laundry. We're talking today about Oscars, putting them on the couch, and putting the winners and the losers on the couch as well. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting Oscar on the couch with my guest, Kate Meehan. She is the senior writer and editor of Celeb Dirty Laundry. So we're talking about Oscars and... um, (laughs) Just now during the break, we were talking about how unfortunate it was that um, the movie. Um, uh, I'm looking in my I'm looking in my notes for the uh, for what it won, but uh, the Great Gatsby. That, Costuming because it, it wasn't it wasn't mentioned as best picture. It wasn't nominated for best picture, and it, and it only won it won best production design, and it won. Um, what's the other one? Also, some kind of cinematography. Costume. Oh, it costume. won for costuming and I think makeup. Uh, costume design, yes. And um, no, not makeup. Makeup was the Dallas Buyers Club. But costume yeah, right. design and production design, and of course, those were incredible. They were spectacular. But it, it's it's really amazing that it was left out of. Um, I mean, it was a big movie, and it's amazing that it was left out of other categories. 
It it was a really big movie. It had a lot of of buzz beforehand, but it's one of those that seemed to fall flat really quickly. Like two or three weeks after it was released, it just it dropped in the standings. Um, you know, and and the the viewers um, just weren't going to see it for whatever reason. You know, I I don't know why. I thought it was actually going to do really well, and it did okay. But it just didn't seem to resonate with people. And for as far as the costuming and the makeup and just, you know, really pulling people into that whole flapper error era, it was amazing. You know, they really thought of everything and all the details were there. And I don't know. I, I don't know if people just thought, oh, it's that old Gatsby story and they didn't want to go and see it because they felt like it, they had to maybe struggle through it in high school. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it was. That might be it, too. You know, sometimes those books that they make you read that are required reading, <laughs> it feels like it's and so, you know, people might not have realized how good this thing actually would be on the big screen in front of you, just kind of reliving that whole era with all the details and all the glitz and glamour. Yeah, and also uh, it was Leonardo DiCaprio, and of course he was nominated. Um, the picture Wolf of Wall Street was nominated. He was nominated for Best Actor and so on, but still. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the other pictures for, nominated for Best Picture. Um, I was really happy that her... One for best original, yes, best original screenplay, Spike Jones. Um, I thought that was a very clever and commentary on our life today. How we are, we've stopped relating to one another, and um, and stopped being really intimate in a loving kind of way. Um, to to a large degree, I mean, to too much, increasingly, and we're just focused on our technology. It's safer to have a love life. <laughs> With your iPhone, they are your, your uh, than than a person. You can get divorced by a person. It, it's you know it's true, and it's it's something that um, you know um, our kids and and our grandkids down the road they know no other way. But for us, you know everything, even even you know going back twenty years ago, you wanted to go out and play, you wanted to go and find your friend, you went and knocked on the door, or you know you were yelling from the sidewalk for them to come out. It's such a disconnected kind of era that we live in now and and her really tapped into that and i think i think it it, a lot of people really relate to that notion of living through that screen and you know their primary connections to people are through that screen and they're with people that they've never met and it's true you know you you can easily form a bond with somebody that you've never met face to face if you're open to it, if there's some kind of commonality, if there's enough connection and enough contact, you know, whether it's verbal, whether it's typing, it's weird how these connections really happen. And I think a lot of us have experienced it, whether it's a good friend that you may never meet face-to-face, whether it's like the, the, the equivalent to the cyber boyfriend or through a dating site. You know, I think we get it, and Spike Jones obviously does. Um, he just, he strikes me as he's he's so smart and so clever and so wise he strikes me as as almost like the the psychologist that you go to see and you realize you're maybe a little less broken than they are but you don't switch, <laughs> you just don't switch because you don't want to hurt their feelings because they're so nice <laughs> that's just how he strikes me he's that guy you know and every project that he puts out there it's it's just a weird kind of masterpiece in itself and it it's gets these really deep concepts and it's almost got a pigeonhole kind of audience of mm. people that, you know, his followers and his fan base, it's ridiculous. They're just, they're totally different than anyone else's that, that I've seen. There's, it's just a different type of following and they love him. And he's like, he's supposed to be the nicest, nicest guy where you don't want to say anything negative. Uh-huh. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I was glad that that movie was recognized and that the writing and that the the originality of it was recognized. Um, what about? Let's see. Um, well, we should now now not nominated for best um, picture, but the best actress. Let's talk about um, Kate Blanchett, Lou Jasmine. Um, I didn't really have, well, Judy Dench, I mean, Judy Dench, Meryl Streep, I mean, you know, of course they're wonderful, but um, I didn't, uh, you know, obviously we talked about Sandra Bullock, she didn't really deserve to win for Best Actress, and Amy Adams, I mean, that wasn't as demanding a part, so I guess Kate Blanchett was, um, was the, should have been the winner, I mean, was the winner, deserved to be the winner, Um Although it wasn't, it, I don't know how demanding that it was a super demanding role, but I guess demanding enough. I, you know, I think it was super demanding in that um, for her, at least, we're used to seeing her so prim and proper and put together, and she always kind of looks just right, and the hair is rarely ever out of place, and she just had to unravel on screen and on camera for this. She just totally unraveled and she had to kind of get past herself to do that. And, you know, by the end you had the sweat stains under the arms and she was, mm-hmm. she was a hot mess and that's how we've never seen her. So yeah. I think, I think she just, it was another case like kind of like Matthew McConaughey where she took what she was given to do and she just kind of fell into it. And it was, it was amazing to watch her like that because I don't think we'll ever see her like that again <laughs> on camera, you know, and I'm not necessarily a fan of Woody Allen's films necessarily. Early. But in this instance, I I got it, and I, I kind of understood why she was going to probably walk away with just about everything this season. Because given the competition, even though Judy Dench is fabulous, even though most of the other ladies really are an amazing caliber of actress, this was probably the best vehicle, and it showed her in the best way possible, whereas some of theirs were just a little bit weaker. Well, now let's talk about the Woody Allen aspect. It was interesting, and I was very, I mean, I, I love Woody Allen movies. Unfortunately, I do not love Woody Allen anymore. Um, I mean, after it has come out about um, his having sexually abused his step-adoptive daughter, um, I, I believe her. I believe, I've read her, um, her, uh, her statements about her descriptions about what happened to her, and as a psychiatrist who has treated countless patients who, you know, like little girls who were abused, sexually abused by their fathers or their uncles or their stepfathers or whatever, um, this, her statement about the whole thing really rings true. And it was interesting to hear how when Kate Blanchett mentioned Woody Allen, um, you know, that there was kind of a, kind of a hush or a groan or a, some kind of noise that was not, not exactly a great round of applause for him. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think it's tricky. I think it's a very tricky thing because, you know, in, in other um, careers and in other situations, the reaction might be totally different. Um, For whatever reason, Hollywood still likes to honor him for his work, and they, they seem to have found a way to definitively draw that line right down the middle to where we, we're going to keep his personal life over here, and whatever has gone on has gone on, and we're going to honor the man's work. And so you can see where all sides kind of walk a line where 
a, a visual genius is a genius and you kind of don't want to take that from them. But then on the flip side, you can see why, as he's mentioned and praised, the family just spews venom. You can understand why, you know, you don't want to see this man lifted up for anything when he hasn't been punished for what has happened over here. So I think it's, there's a very, very fine line and a very fine balance. And I think, you know, I kind of got the sense in that the other night that, the feeling might be, you know, he's probably guilty, um, but, you know, we have to sit here and honor this. And, you know, it probably would have gone over a whole lot better if she didn't mention him at yes, all. Yes, You know, she should, I think part of mentioning him, it's like you, you want to mention the mind behind the project, which makes total sense. But in this instance, again, it just leads to that awkward silence because there's nothing else really to offer up. You know, it's just totally... It's a totally awkward situation. And also, too, she took a shot at Sandra in her acceptance speech um, where she's, you know, usually usually they will. They'll kind of acknowledge the competition and the great job that the competition has done as well and, and just, you know, take that, that 20 seconds to honor everybody else that, that was in the category with them. And she did mention Sandra and had said that, um, you know, I could have watched you in Gravity forever and I kind of feel like I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, uh, people didn't seem to catch it. It. Well, I really mentioned it, but it was a clear-cut shot at her, which, I mean, I kind of chuckled because that was my sentiment, you know, but I couldn't believe it came from the stage as well. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, it was funny, but it was like, you, you did kind of cringe for uh, yeah. Sandra. But, um, you know, of course she was, she must have felt obligated that here's this man, Woody Allen, who gave her this opportunity. Without him, right. he, she wouldn't be standing there. So you exactly. kind of understand why she felt she had to mention him. Um, so, yes, it was 22. awkward. It's just, yeah, it's just awkward because if you don't mention him, then it's, a, it's an obvious serious oversight. Yes. If you do mention him, then you know exactly what everybody else is thinking in the back of their head. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it's, there's no right answer there. You know, for me, I'm, it also bothers me that um, that he's well. I mean, we know that he married um, his his exactly his. Let's see, she was his. I guess she was his step. She Step-daughter? was his adopted daughter. And he also age. had he also had um, a relationship with a girl that was seventeen when he was like forty two. Yes, it, yes. So I mean, what, it's what not like this is so. Are. It's not like this, you know, is so out of the question. I mean, he's had a no. pattern of this, and and we know he married this woman. I mean, it's not. It's you can't like deny that. You can't say she's lying. He, I mean, that was so incredibly inappropriate um, because he was still her father figure, regardless. And um, you know, he should have gotten punished for that, and he didn't. So. So, and, and so it bothers me, all of these, you know, um, these inappropriate, abusive relationships, because um, he was in psychoanalysis for years and years and years. And but what's interesting is that when he started with Sun Yi, he stopped psychoanalysis. Either the analyst stopped it or he, st- well, I presume what happened is that the analyst was telling him that this is not appropriate and he didn't want to hear it anymore, so he ended his analysis. But it's sad that someone who had that many years before, you know, already in analysis, would have done these things. Well, exactly, you know, but that's obviously his um, sickness and his compulsion, and it's it's who he is and and that's just it you know it's it's kind of hard to say that these accusations are not true or invalid or or you're not so sure about it when he's lived a life that kind of 
lends itself to believing that, you know, this stuff is true. I mean, if he was married forever or not even married forever, but, you know, if if his history was with older women or whatever, then okay, but but he puts something out there that makes it very easy to believe everything that we've heard. And that's where the awkward silence comes in. It's like, you know, if you're walking the walk, then it's hard for people to really go to bat for you. And it's hard to prevent the awkward silences. And it's just, it's that thing that hangs in the air whenever he's around. And it's always going to be there. Yes. Well, Kate, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch. Kate Meehan, again, she's the senior writer and editor of Celeb Dirty Laundry. If you, uh, uh, your insights were really fabulous, so um, if you would like to hear more <laughs> of that, go to CelebDirtyLaundry.com. And uh, I'm so glad we agreed on some of these things that, that not everybody else agreed on. <laughs> but, um, but not everybody else, well, let's put it this way, not everybody else was vocally agreeing on it. It doesn't mean they didn't agree. So thanks again and, um, uh, for, being, for lending your, sharing your views of Oscar on the Couch with, with me and, and my audience. Thank you for having me. And thank you all. We're going to be taking another break. Um, we're coming back with the last segment. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're putting Oscar on the couch and uh, analyzing every little bit of it. Um, And so in this last segment, what I want to talk to you about, every year I... Um, analyze what the pictures that are nominated for best picture say about us. How does this choice of pictures um, reflect what's going on in society? And um, what's interesting is that that most of the pictures that were nominated um, were just looking at the list. Um, were based on true stories. And what's also interesting, uh, as far as a general theme, is that it has to do with survival. All of the pictures have to do with survival. 
And, for example, I think maybe the, the line that epitomizes this the most is from Gravity, where uh, Sandra Bullock says, Oh, I'm going to die. I know we're all going to die, but I'm going to die today. I must, that line, that is the best line of the movie, which is why, of course, <laughs> if you've been listening to the radio or um, maybe it's on television as well, um, when they've been doing promos for that movie leading up to the Oscars, that's uh, a line in the promo. Oh, I'm going to die. I know we're all going to die, but I'm going to die today. It was a very chilling, haunting line because it puts us in touch with our uh, unspoken fear of mortality, and it puts it right out there, confronts us with it. And all of the pictures um, nominated for Best Picture reflect our struggles to survive in today's unpredictable and greedy and dangerous world, and where any day, you know, it could be our day to die. And um, some of the movie's uh, taglines, for example, reflect this. American Hustle, the tagline is, Everyone Hustles to Survive. Captain Phillips, Out Here Survival is Everything. The Dallas Buyers Club, Dare to Live. And Gravity's tagline, Don't Let Go. And then um, what's interesting is, in 12 Years a Slave, and I actually hadn't seen that movie, um, but I went to see it last night. And it is an excellent movie. And, um, you know, some of my other favorites, actually, were um, The Dallas Buyers Club and Her and Philomena and The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and so I guess I was, I was rooting for one of those to win. Any of those I would have been happy with. Um, and so when 12 Years a Slave won, I, I didn't know quite what to make of that, so I went to see it last night. And... Um, it, it was, it, you know, it is, it's an epic kind of movie. I mean, it's a, a movie where um, it does have Best Picture written on it, in a sense. It was very, and, and of course, that was a true story, um, but it's very, it's visually beautiful, it's deep, you know, the statement it's making of, in regard to um, slavery, not necessarily, not just literally slavery, but also the idea of what we each are a slave to and imagine being plucked from your life um, and being held a slave to someone or something for 12 years or any period of time. So it was a profound movie and um, and it did deserve to win. I mean, I'm not saying that I thought it was better than um, the other ones that I liked. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club and her and Philomena and Wolf of Wall Street. But, um, but you know, it was I, in some ways, of course, I guess you could say, I guess you could say it was bigger in some ways. I mean, as long as, as, long as Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto won for... Um, Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, that takes care of that movie. So all, on the whole, I'm pretty pleased with how it all turned out. Uh, and I would recommend all of these movies to you. If you haven't, you should go down the list. Um, the only one that I haven't seen at this point, well, actually, there are two of them I haven't seen, American Hustle and Nebraska, and I plan on seeing them. Um, but So I would go down the list. You can find them, you know, you can either find them in a movie theater near you or you can find them um, on the Internet, you know, um, Netflix or whatever, Amazon. Um, you know, there are ways of getting to these movies. So I would really recommend them because, and for me, um, one of the things that is gratifying um, is that none of these movies were gratuitously violent, um, 
Well, I unless American Hustle, I didn't see that. That I should take that back because I know the gist of what that's about, and I don't know whether whether that's gratuitously violent or not. But in any case, as far as the other ones, um, they weren't, and uh, and that's always a good sign. But now, um, you know, the getting back to to um, these lines from from Gravity, um, Sandra Bullock also says, "I'm still scared. I'm really scared. Nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul." And that also reflects um, what a lot of us are feeling. We're feeling lost in space down here on Earth. We're estranged from each other, and we feel um, worlds apart. Sometimes, oftentimes, too oftentimes, like astronauts floating without a tether. And um, same thing in her, of course. We talked about that earlier in the show. It, it's the same kind of um, the same kind of lack of connection. And then, of course, uh, not surprising when our economy is on on life support, we're also very much um, uh, focused on financial survival. And that has been a pervasive theme in the Best Picture nominees. For example, um, you know, uh, there's greedy sharks uh, circling the waters in, in many of these movies, con artists, criminals, um, brokers, big pharma, slave masters, Somali pirates, and so on. Even nuns in Philomena, um, that also based on a true story, um, Judy Dench is on a lifelong search for her son, and in the end, she, le- she learns that nuns betrayed her because they stole and sold her son when he was a toddler. And so even nuns are, um, are caught up in this theme of, of um, and it was a true story, <laughs> um, of, of financial survival. And, um, you know, of course, it's interesting to see the, these movies about survival based upon um, that on the backdrop, not based upon, but on a backdrop of, of celebrities, actors who have been uh, struggling for survival, and, and especially that we've been thinking of in recent times, like Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, he had won, uh, in 2006, he won Best Actor for Capote. And, you know, uh, imagine that. Like here, that was the highlight, or a highlight, if not the highlight of his life. It, it wasn't that long ago, 2006. And today he's dead of an, of an overdose, a drug overdose. And what I think is misguided tough love advice that somebody um, would have given his, his girlfriend, his, um, his live-in, well, <laughs> was live-in lover until she had him move out. Um, and Heath Ledger was one of the, the actors who Philip Seymour Hoffman had competed with in 2006. And of course, and Heath Ledger, it was for Brokeback Mountain. And Heath Ledger died um, in 2008 uh, from a drug overdose as well. Then we have Julia Roberts' half-sister, Nancy Motes, who committed suicide in, in recent days. Uh, she left behind a note blaming Julia for driving her to it. And, uh, of course, you can understand how, how hard it would be to have a sister, <laughs> to not be jealous of, of a sister who has all the fame and fortune that... Um, that Julia Roberts had, and, and to be honest, I don't think that she did share much of that or, or um, was, was the way she should have been to her sister, keeping their mother away from her sister and so on. There are a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of darkness to that story, and um, it is really tragic that, that when one gets to be as high 
um, well, as high as rich and famous in any case, as Julia Roberts, that she couldn't have had more um, generosity. I don't mean just literally money generosity, but generosity of spirit in terms of helping her sister. Um, we talked about Dylan Farrow and Woody Allen. I mean, you know, it's... it's um, the issue on stage and on screen and off, um, whether you're a movie star or whether you're a pizza delivery guy, is survival. And um, what's, what I would, again, recommend is that um, these movies, um, well, Captain Phillips particularly, Dallas Buyers Club, where he survived. Uh, he, he was given 30 days to live, and he survived seven years um, Gravity, of course, she survives. We hope she, she lands on an island in any case. Um, Philomena, well, Philomena, well, Philomena is survival in a different way. It wasn't her life. It was just, it wasn't life or death, but it was her, um, her lifelong search for her son that uh, she survived in a sense because it was difficult every day. Of course, 12 years of slave, survival, literal, um, and then um, the Wolf, well, the Wolf of Wall Street was was more financial survival. But, but in any case, these movies are are inspirational. And um, I just because the Oscars are over doesn't mean that uh, doesn't mean that these movies don't exist anymore and that they're not worth seeing. I really, really would recommend that you that you do that. Um, you know, it's it's again, it's it's, it's it does art imitate life or art or life imitate art and it's a little bit of both and um and certainly it does the best pictures do reflect the fact that we're we're all struggling to survive in our own different ways and so that's why it would be worth it to see them to to get some inspiration on how to do it better so you've been listening to dr carol's couch we've been putting oscars on the couch and uh thank you for listening i'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.